It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you try to capture something, but you set that motherfucker on fire instead? Why you get the creature walks among us. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And this time, this episode is the third of the series of the Universal Monsters sequel, a sequel thon. So this is the third podcast. In other words, what I'm trying to say in the most convoluted way possible. Uh, yeah, third in a series of podcasts that I've done with a bunch of people um, that we've all connected different Universal horror movies together. And we started off in the beginning with the basics, right? So we did our Draculas, Frankensteins, those things. And then we went to the sequels last time. And now this is the third part of that, meaning that there's more sequels to the sequels. And so with this episode, of course, it's The Creature Walks Among Us, which started with the original film, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, followed by Revenge of the Creature. So this is the third in the series. And it's interesting kind of the evolution and the way that the series went the first one is an absolute masterpiece it's absolutely beautiful in every way shape and form and i almost feel at sometimes that it really can do no wrong um even though it probably does some wrong but i have such a strong connection to it that it makes it hard to be objective about it not so much revenge of the creature and which was you know had its moments but for the most part i was not the biggest fan of it and so now we're here at The Creature Walks Among Us. And honestly, the very first time I saw this, I don't think I quite understood it. Um, and it kind of soured my experience with the whole movie. And I, I think that I have a better understanding of it this time after seeing it, after seeing it for so long. And I try to be really subjective with it. Um, and of course, it's still very... <laughs> It's, a, it's definitely a bait-and-switch type movie. It's one of those movies, again, where it's like the best thing that I can compare it to right away when I'm talking about it. And if you've actually watched it, and this movie is really hard to find. Let me tell you how hard it was for me to even find this movie in a way to get the audio and to do all this stuff. Now, the easiest way to do it is just to go and buy it. 
but the quality of the film, I feel, even on those Blu-rays, is not the best in the world. But that's going to be your most surefire way. There's a nice set on Amazon that's available that's all three Creature from the Black Lagoon movies. Or you can go and go balls to the wall and get the whole collection of all the Universal Monster movies um, for actually a pretty good price for what they're selling it at. And then you have all of these classics. They're all put together and it's absolutely fantastic. But... The other thing I don't quite like about the Creature collection, it's a collection of three, and they're supposed to be 3D, but they're not quite the true 3D. They do some weird, like, they have a weird filter on it to where it's not 1080p, it's much lower quality, and, you know, these films kind of thrived in that 3D world. I, this one, maybe not so much. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, definitely, and Revenge of the Creature definitely had some moments. This one... I don't see where the 3D would have been any good when you're kind of talking about this film. Though, I wish the quality was a lot better. But I was able to find a way so that I can get the audio to you guys and we can actually talk about this film today. Uh, and you can kind of see maybe how it changes my mind. But as I was trying to say earlier, there, <laughs> the way the film is set up and the way the story goes, especially if you want to look at it based upon the poster, and the one that I chose for the artwork for this episode of the podcast doesn't convey that point specifically. It does a little bit, because it says the creature roams the streets searching for blah blah blah. You know, it, it puts that type of thing out there where it's like, oh my god, it's the creature that's going to be coming, and they brought him, you know, just to get the base story out of the way, they find the creature, they're going to change him kind of into a human, right? If you heard the trailer from the last episode. Um, but it's kind of like, oh my god, he's there, he's going to attack everybody, but... It's, it fucking Jason takes Manhattan's you. Like, <laughs> you you don't go to Manhattan. You're waiting the whole time for Jason to get to the fucking, you know, New York and fucking cause carnage and shit. And then he shows up there in the last, like, 30 minutes of the goddamn movie. And it's the same thing here. I mean, <laughs> I'll talk about it more towards the end of it. But, like, I was trying to remember exactly because there's, like... The drawings and everything they give you, oh, it's the creature walking in San Francisco, oh, he's coming here, he's being let, but he's not really the creature, I mean, he is, but, oh, it's just, it's so frustrating, but at the same time, there's a really good parable underneath this, which is, it really kind of amazed me, because there's something that's going on that, you know, you've got your dueling stories for the movie, you know, one, of course, being what they want to see out of the creature, and then, two, it's like a lot of things in the 50s and earlier, it's a lot about human nature and what, you know, how they're using these monsters to mimic how humans actually act and who is the bigger monster. Is it the monster himself? Is it the Gill Man? And have we just misunderstood the Gill Man the entire time that we've been watching him? Yes, I mean, that's kind of obvious based upon the first two films, but this one really tries to hammer that point home. And I mean, like, hammer that point home with the characters that you have in the movie. So, you know, this film itself, it was released in 1956, and it's a relatively short movie. It's only about an hour and 15, maybe an hour and 13 minutes long, 
with the beginning credits and a little bit at the end. And I always love older films because, you know, like they say, the reason that trailers are called trailers is because they really came at the end of the movie and you got the big giant set of credits all done at the beginning of the movie and then it just goes the end and then it'll show you the previews for other movies that are coming out. And I love when old movies do that, but this is kind of that hybrid, you know, where it's got a little bit of a beginning and then it has like a traditional set of credits there at the end of the film. Now, the first two films were directed by Mr. Jack Arnold, uh, but he had moved to quote A-list films and this was definitely kind of like a sidetrack B-movie type of film for, at the time. And so you had a brand new director to the series, but original composer Henry Mancini, he was actually involved with it. The movie itself stars Jeff Morrow, Rex Reason, and Lay Snowden, and like I said, the original composer, Harry Mancini, he's doing all the music for the film, and yeah, there's a lot of reuse. I feel like there's sometimes even reuse of shots in the film itself. And there's actually really no data that I could find right away. I didn't do a whole lot of research on this, but from the normal places that I do normally go, there wasn't a whole lot of data on how much it cost to make it as well as how much did it make in the box office, but it's not really that important. It truly is kind of like the bastard stepchild of the Creature of the Black Lagoon movies. There was one review that I found that was actually quite interesting, and it came from the New York Times, and it says that the producers have captured some misty but pictorial underwater footage, and that the Messrs. Merrill and Reason and Greg Palmer, who plays a guide with a yen for the blonde and statuesque Miss Snowden, behave fairly well in decidedly unusual circumstances. The creature, of course, is frightening enough to scare the scales off a tarpoon. However, apparently he hasn't terrified his Hollywood discoverers. And that really is a pretty good summation of exactly what the film is kind of like. Um, it, it's just, like I said, it's a very interesting film. This is not the best in the series, but is it the worst? That's something that I think we need to talk about for a little bit, and especially with me coming off of, you know, these other two films and, you know, them really being, like, kind of like star children, you know, because The Creature from the Black Lagoon, I feel like might have been like an unexpected hit because it was so beautiful with its underwater footage and the story itself is, you know, truly charming. Well, to this guy. And so it's like, they like, oh my God, it's such a smash and what do you do? And this is Hollywood. Well, we just make a fucking sequel and we go with it and we got the original director and some of the original writers and composer. Okay, great. And then... They tried to do a little bit too much where they could have done something maybe as sweet and as beautiful. Um, but, you know, here we are. They're like, well, we need a movie. What movie shall we do? And why not just make another creature movie? Maybe we'll make us a couple bucks and we'll be on with it. So, that's what they kind of did. So now we have The Creature Walks Among Us. So the very first thing that starts the movies we see a car being driven down the road and it looks like whoever's driving the car is really upset and it happens to be uh looks like a couple it's a man and a woman and the woman's the one that's driving but she doesn't seem very happy to be taking the drive down the like florida coast looks like they're maybe going to the florida keys but they're heading to a boat where as they arrive they all they each walk onto the boat separately with her first followed by her you know companion 
uh, and we get a little bit of introductions to everybody that's going to be involved in this expedition. Mrs. Barton? Why, yes. You're the guide, Mr. Grant. No, he's Grant. Hi. I'm Tom Morgan. Oh, you're Dr. Morgan. And Dr. Borg. How do you do, Mrs. Barton? Doctor. Morgan Genetics, Borg Rangonology, Johnson Biochemistry. Well, Johnson's in the lab. You see, my husband never gave faces to any of you, just name and occupation. Well, that's the way most medical men describe most medical men. But he didn't say much about you. I guess your field is in medicine. Only through marriage. Oh, Dr. Barton. Dr. Morgan. Dr. Barton. Dr. Borg. Grant. You met Mrs. Barton. I had some difficulty persuading her to come along. She felt she might be in the way. Not at all, Doctor. Would you like to go to your cabin, Mrs. Barton? So already you kind of have a, an archetype for everybody that's going to be involved. And this is going to be something that kind of runs similar throughout the whole film. The biggest thing that I have in the issue with the characters, even though they're all acted relatively well, they all are kind of like pointed out right away. So you've got Dr. Morgan, who seems to be the very cool-headed type of guy, right? He's very smooth in the way he talks, and he's very calm, relaxed, and he's kind of the voice of reason that you're going to have. Then you got Dr. Barton. Dr. Barton is the main guy that's trying to go after the Gill Man and find him for reasons we don't really know exactly what's going on yet. But he is very calm and calculated and cold at the same time. The way that he reacts to every situation and he just like feels like something's just going to blow. Like they had an argument. He forced her to come along. He couldn't just leave her alone and just do the expedition himself. No, he had to bring his wife and he had to convince her why she needed to fucking come on this thing. And you know what? Maybe she just wanted to fucking sit at home and just relax and get away from your bitching ass for a little while. Go find your fucking Gilman. Give me a fucking vacation. That's all I want for a little bit. Because every once in a while you want some time by yourself to just fuck around the house or something like that. But because he kind of stuff forces her, you kind of wonder what's going on. And especially the way that he's even talking to everybody. It's very weird. And then you've got Grant, who is the, you know, guy that I guess owns the boat. I never really understood who he was. He's not really a scientist, right? We've got the other two scientists there. Who gives a fuck about them because they barely said anything and they weren't the focus of the shot. The main four are really going to be, you know, Barton, his wife Margaret, uh, Morgan, and Grant. Those are the ones that you're really going to focus on and you can really tell that just by the shot that you see here. So who gives a fuck about those other two fucking guys? It's going to be baldy and fucking mustache for the rest of the fucking podcast. That's how fucking important I feel they are to the rest of the goddamn story. So there's already kind of a little bit of tension that's being set up here in this scene and it makes you wonder what the hell is actually going on. But, you know, there might be more that we're going to learn as the movie moves on. So, Barton, he wants to see this lab that he's requested being set up on the ship. And this is where we kind of learn a little bit of how much a dick that Barton actually is. Very good. Very good indeed, Dr. Morgan. I had no idea you could arrange surgical instruments this well. Well, genetics may be my specialty, but I'm also a doctor. I didn't mean to offend. It's just unusual these days to find such fidelity to doing things exactly right. Well, thank you. But it's unfortunate that Mr. Grant couldn't tell us the exact location of what we're looking for. I told you it was in the Everglades. I'll get you close enough. The rest will be up to you. 
Dr. Morgan, have you explained to Grant the technique we intend to use? Not yet. The big trick will be to maneuver him to still water. Well, this liquid rotenone compound, when spread under pressure, can anesthetize him in a matter of seconds. Providing, of course, we can give him a concentrated dose. Well, don't look so doubtful, Grant. It's worked before. You know, gentlemen, I've seen the drug used by the natives to catch fish up the Amazon. But I'll have to see this first to believe it'll knock out 300 pounds of the deadliest... Dr. Barton speaking. Everything's ready and secured, sir. All right, Captain. Get underway. So the first thing that he says to Dr. Morgan in that scene is, Oh my God, you know how to arrange surgical equipment. It's like, he's, he's a fucking geneticist. Like, there's other things that he may do. Maybe he had to be a surgeon first to be able to get that. You know, you still go to fucking medical school or whatever it is to learn the stuff that you need to be to a fucking geneticist, but here we go, the very first thing, oh, good job, you know how to arrange those things, fuck you, Dr. Barton, what the fuck is going on with this, why you gotta be a condescending fucking dick, you're the one that fucking hired his ass to do this shit for you, you should be ecstatic more that he set up a whole fucking incredibly, actually kind of lame looking lab, in, but it's a lab nonetheless in your floating fucking monstrosity that you're going to take to try to find the Gill Man, and then the second that he's going to be happy enough to go out there with you to find this monster because everybody in this universe now knows that he fucking exists, even though I think he fucking got shot to death at the end of the last movie, so how the fuck is he still alive out in the fucking ocean? Who the fuck knows? But this guy's gonna go with you and do your crazy fucking experiments on this goddamn creature from originally a black lagoon, but now the Florida fucking Everglades. I mean, I wonder if he's really been infected by Florida. Like, maybe the way they knew he was down there, he ended up on some, like, Florida man thing or something like that. I don't fucking know, but now he resides down there for some fucking reason. And then you're like, oh, Grant over here, I'm more surprised that he wasn't able to pinpoint exactly where he was, but he knows how to get to where he fucking is. That's the other thing that kind of pisses me off. This guy is just a fucking dick. He's just a dick to everybody. He's one of those fucking guys that everything has to be known right away. It can't be that, yeah, I know, but I don't know exactly because, hey, you know, this thing, I don't even know if it fucking, one, it doesn't really exist. Two, is your shit actually going to work? And three, I know what, like, third hand from somebody else that I've fucking talked to, uh, you know, down the way. They Basically, the story's passed up, and that's how I'm going to get to your shit. Like, what the hell's going on here? Why are you being such an asshole? And we kind of understand a little bit why more later, but it still doesn't excuse the fact that, you know, you know the other guy's a fucking doctor and a fucking scientist, that he should be able to set up a fucking lab in a decent way. Instead, you gotta be condescending to his ass like he's a fucking 13-year-old kid that just set the table for the first fucking time, and you're so fucking proud of him because you didn't have to tell him anything to go set the goddamn table for dinner, and then he put the forks in the right fucking position, and you're like, oh my god, you even included a fucking salad fork? That's fucking wonderful, you know? But here he is, he's a grown fucking man that has gotten his fucking degree. You could at least keep, like, some form of fucking respect for the guy. But... I digress. So, they continue on a little bit on their journey. And then we see that, you know, 
there's some new equipment that they brought onto the ship as they're going around they're testing it as they're driving it and it's basically a new type of a radar that allows them to see what the hell is down below in the water that was a school of barracuda they length, as you know varies from five to five and a half feet is uh, this um, gadget your idea doc <laughs> not exactly similar machines are being manufactured by a few of the big electronic firms Works like the sonar device that the commercial fishing outfits use to spot schools of fish. Most of the Scandinavian countries, New England, California fishing operations, they all use them. The electronic waves move to the object in the water and bounce back. The time lapse between sending and receiving gives us the distance. Takes all the kick out of fishing if you know what's right there in the water. <laughs> On this particular trip, we'd better know what's in the water. And we will because these devices also reveal the exact species of fish. You see those new slightly arced lines? Giant rock lobster, unmistakable. Of course, we can't be sure just what sort of image we'll get on the scope when we find what we're looking for. However, we can make an educated guess. Grant, put on the lights, please. Sure. Excuse me. All right. The thicker the mass, the lighter the image on the screen. And based on information from Ocean Harbor in Florida, the length of the creature on the screen should be about half a centimeter more than that of the average male adult. What's that? Okay, first, I get it. I know what you're expecting me to do. You're expecting me to make some sort of B-52s joke. Well, you know what? I'm not going to do it. It's just above me right now, okay? I'm not going to talk about all the little things out there. I'm not going to be like, oh, it was a rock, a rock lobster. Nothing like that. So, you know, from what they guess that they can see with this thing, they can see basically fucking everything. I mean, they can see boys in bikinis. They can see girls in surfboards. They can see that everybody's rocking and that everybody's frugging. I mean, they can see everything down below. And for some reason, they get the whole, like, view of the ocean with this amazing fucking machine. And this is when I realized also that this universe knows exactly what they're talking about. Because when they pull down that poster that you hear, that has an image of the Gilman there next to man. And he's basically saying, look, this thing's just a giant fucking guy that's out there. And it's just going to be fucking rocking down there with the motion in the ocean while you have your air in your hose. So it's going to help you actually find the mass because he's such a big mass. It won't be able to detect it specifically. Like, it won't say, hey, there it is, you know, like the rock lobsters uh, because they're nice and small and have a very small mass, um, <laughs> which is redundant. <laughs> but uh, it's they're just going to say, look, there's a big blob down there, and I think that's what that is. It's the fucking Gilman. And then, you know, after they've explained all of that, all of a sudden you start to hearing the damn gunshots going off in the distance, and they rush up, up to the deck thinking, oh my god, did Riri find it? And no, there's... See, she has, like, two different names, I feel, in this movie. And, and looking at some of the notes during some of the clips being played... Uh, she gets called Marcia sometimes, and I think she gets called Margaret later on. So I don't know what to fucking call her. I'm just going to call her that lady for the rest of the fucking thing, because I won't remember which name I'm fucking using half the time. But she's out on deck with a fucking shotgun or a rifle or whatever, shooting at fucking sharks. Like, she's like, there's sharks that swam near the ship. I had to fucking shoot them. 
What the fuck, lady? Like, they ain't doing anything to you. They're just in the fucking water. They're, like, probably just trying to go by and, like, wave or whatever. Maybe they're singing that fucking annoying song, and then the one popped out, and it's like, babe. Fucking die. I'm like, that song hasn't even been invented yet. Like, I can understand that that might actually be happening, because in my mind, that's exactly what went on. But... She's just fucking shooting random fucking ocean life out there. And everybody's just like, all right, well, we know not to fuck with her. I guess she's mad enough at her fucking husband that she's able to kill fucking sharks out there and not be a problem. Uh, and so everybody decides, yeah, that's cool. Just keep shooting fucking sharks. And they all go back down below on the deck. But we see that Grant actually has a little bit of an inkling towards her. And we also find out that Grant is a, well, he's a fucking dick too. Your husband must be an awfully good surgeon. I mean, uh, awfully rich. Because he's financing this? Oh, no. Even a beach bum like me knows it's deductible from his income tax. I mean, awfully rich to be able to afford uh, everything he owns. Oh, excuse me? That is a fucking dick statement right there. And he's looking at her and looking at her up and down. Everything that he owns. Like, is she tax deductible? Is that what he's trying to fucking say? Not only is this trip, but hey, having a hot blonde bombshell of a fucking wife. Man, I can write that off on my taxes. And that means that I fucked up if that's the fucking problem. That's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to marry some fucking blonde bombshell of a person. So that way on my taxes every year, I could just write her fucking off. Like... What a dick thing to say to somebody. You can tell that they're not, like, extremely happy right now. Like, if she's being forced to go on there, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that she doesn't love him or doesn't respect him or doesn't want to be with him. Like, it just means, like, that, hey, we maybe we got in an argument and it wasn't the best argument in the world. Or I don't want to be on this boat, so that's why I'm fucking shooting sharks out here. And do you really want to make that statement to somebody who's holding a fucking rifle in his hand, like, their hands? And just like, oh yeah, he bought you too. What'd you say, motherfucker? What'd you say? Like, come on. Really, this is the only time frame in the fucking world, at least, you know, looking back on it, that you could say that type of shit and just fucking get away with it and nothing fucking happens and there's no fucking, like, recourse or anything else, any other comments that were said to him, nothing. It's just like, yeah, I guess that's the reason why I'm with him because he has money. And, you know, women, pretty women, only want to be with men for their money. They, there's no other reason why I would have married this guy. I mean, nothing. Oh, man, you you found me out right away, man. You know. You know exactly why I'm with this guy. So, they, they finally all go back inside and they retreat. And eventually they do get to the islands outside of the Everglades. Uh, where Grant leads him to the person that was actually attacked by the creature last. And he's going to give a little bit more information of what exactly he saw. Ah, Senor Grant, entre, por favor. What is this? Senor Grant. Welcome. Martino, my friend. Thank you for the food. The money. Oh, that's all right. Glad to do it. Now listen, Martino. These gentlemen are my friends. I want you to tell Dr. Barton here the story of how you were hurt. These men are going to help me catch him. When? When did the creature attack you? How? Where? I am in Everglades to shoot alligators to get skins. 
I sell Senor Grant, who buys for men who make belts and shoes in the city. One day after a long hunt, I shoot something near me. And it raised up and grabbed my gun. Parecia Diablo, it, it looked like devil, fighting me. I take my knife, I fight back. I cut him good. Animal malvado. There was plenty blood. Then devil go away and I did not remember more. Till people from village find me. When I wake up, I am crippled. Face torn. My village tried to hunt it down, but it is smart. Not like man, smart like devil. Well, that's the story, gentlemen. Now, the last place he was seen was off the coast. I'll take you there. So, he's not smart like man, but smart like devil. Like, the accent could have been a little bit better, to be honest. Like, it was fine for what it was, and I guess it probably was fine for the time. But I don't know if he exactly was a guy that was, you know, a native... I guess he would be Cuban, maybe? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but we'll just, you know, we could always call him generic Latino or whatever it is. But it's just really funny in the way that the whole scene is set up. And he's like laying in the bed and, you know, they're like watching over him. And he's like, then he attacked my face and like messed up my face. And he has like a little like line on his face. Like nothing really bad happened to him. Maybe he got a scratch or something like that. And I'm crippled. And he's like, but he's able to get out of the bed just fine. Like he does struggle a little bit, but he stands up, he walks. He's just kind of holding his leg like, Oh man, this is like when you get a really bad cramp and your leg just stays fucking straight and you know, cause you woke up in the middle of the night and you were just fucking screaming because that cr muscle was just pulling in on itself and it was like, just like an fucking bullet went through your leg or some shit like that. Or like, you know, you had a spear that was thrown from a long distance and it landed in your left leg and then another one came and landed in your right leg because the other leg starts cramping up because, the you know, the, the other leg has already cramped and you're like, oh shit, everything's just fucking cramped. Uh, and it's just... Like, he just gets up, like, holding his leg. Well, he's more like, looks like he's holding his ass than anything else, but, like... <laughs> Like, he really has to shit, and he's not sure if he's going to make it to the fucking bathroom or not. But he does go over and get the knife, so that way they can look at it and kind of study it further. And one of the doctor's mustache, he decides that he's going to get the knife, and he's going to try to look at the blood platelets that are still stuck on there, because he did manage to stab the gill man and get away from him that way. And so in the lab, they actually find a little more of a discovery of what's going on with the gill man, and the fact that maybe, just maybe, they can actually change the habits of the creature. What about it, Johnson? The red corpuscle count checks with the Ocean Harbor figures. 35%. Halfway between the count in mammals and marine life vertebrae. Nature moving out of one phase into another. Are the corpuscles beveled? No. Then the blood type is of a marine life animal. Right, Johnson? Except there's no nucleus to each corpuscle. There. Gentlemen, the creature can be changed. We can make the giant step and bring a new species into existence. No. Why? Because it hasn't been done? Listen, we can create an entirely new form of life. We can change the blood texture, build up the red corpuscle count, and the gene structure has to be affected. 
I didn't know you wanted that kind of an experiment. I thought we were only going to subject him to, to study under more controlled conditions. But there'll never be another chance like this. I've seen the imperfections of the human body. A surgeon sees them and knows. Modern man is limited. Earthbound to this planet which he devours. And eventually which will fail to support him. Yet, he's bound to it because he's physically incapable of taking the next giant step. Into outer space. Well, we can make him physically capable. I disagree. We can learn from nature. Help nature. We can make this earth a happier place by helping nature select what's best in us. And when man's ready, mentally, physically, he'll get to outer space. Doctor, there's no shortcut. You can't bypass nature. Perhaps you're afraid to. If you are, I can take you all back and assemble a new group. No, I'm staying. I want to know for myself. Yes. I do, too. Good. Now. So, there's a couple of things that are going on here, and originally I was a little confused by the talk that was going on with outer space and everything, but it really talks about the creature in terms of his outer space is land, right? So he wants to change him in a way that he would go out of his current comfort zone. Like, he knows that he can come and be on the land for a little bit because of everything, I guess, that's happened. I guess with the last movie, we know that he was out there, but it was really weird, and, and I guess when you think about it, you don't really think about it that much while you're watching the original film, that he, you know lives in both worlds even though he has gills he's still able to go on land and even with the creature from the black goon he had his little cave but there was enough water to where he could jump back in the water he can be in the water and then he can go on land and he's happily on land where with the revenge of the creature he spends a lot of time just on land being a fucking dick and destroying everything and so here he wants to actually completely transform him to live in quote-unquote outer space which is our world. And at the same time, he's hoping that the, what he can do for everything that's going on is that maybe the evolution that they do to him can also reflect onto man and that man can evolve and then go on to what is you know, our outer space or survive in other types of environments that we normally wouldn't be able to survive in. At least that's kind of what I'm getting. If anybody thinks I'm wrong, go ahead and you know just put it in the file that says, I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, but it's it's kind of a weird like idea that's going on here that if you're able to actually take something else and do some type of transformation to it, that it can reflect upon humans and humans can do the same thing. Basically, if he can prove that he can change a monster, he can change humanity. And it's I, I just don't know like if that whole idea flies. It could be a lot better. Um, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought for the film, and the film definitely leads him down that rabbit hole. So they're going to go out, and they're going to find the creature, and they're going to just change him in some way so that he lives a normal life, maybe like a human or something like that. You know, his idea may be strange, and he does give everybody the opportunity to just kind of opt out, but everybody just is like, you know, okay, no, I want to see this to the very end. So eventually they do arrive around the area where they think that the creature is, and they decide to dive into the water. And at this point, you know, 
uh, Mrs. Barton over here, she decides that she's going to go along with Grant and Dr. Morgan. They're going to go into the water. Now, earlier, I didn't really mention it, but I'll, I should mention it now. They did make reference to the chemical that was used in the very first creature from the Black Lagoon, the white substance that they sprayed into the water that normally they get the fish, and that's one of the easiest ways that they catch the fish. They paralyze them, they catch them all up, and they take them out, right? And so they have that stuff again, and they're going to go down the water, and they're going to spray the creature with it, so that way they can capture it alive. Uh, just sedate it, and then bring it back, because I guess they learned that it worked sometime before, or they're just assuming that this is going to work because it works on fish, so it might as well work on the Gilman as well. I don't really know, but that seems to be the area that they're going in. I have a feeling that maybe they've read some of the research before, and they realize that this is what's actually going to stop the creature. Um, they go ahead and dive in, and there's some really beautiful underwater shots. Um, not as good as the original creature. I feel it's better than Revenge of the Creature. But it's really weird that, you know, Miss Barton over here, she's going to go with them. And she's basically just going to swim around. They mentioned something about that you need to take this little, um, like depth apparatus with him because if you go down too far you could lose yourself down there like you're either gonna you know pass out because the pressure's too much you won't know exactly how deep you are and that you could be lost forever so there's a lot of really cool little sequences here with them swimming around and it seems like they've got some stock shots from the original creature from the black lagoon when you see him swimming around in the water not all of it's like that. It's mostly just like reaction shots that they kind of spliced into the film. But otherwise, you know, it's decent underwater footage for what the film is going to offer for the rest of it. And so they're swimming around. They think that they've seen him. They actually do catch him at one point. Well, they like see him at one point. They chase after him. But a lot of it's really just focused on Mrs. Barton and her swimming. And I feel like they're trying to recreate the first film in terms of the creature and how lovingly he looked at this new creature that's in the water that he's never really seen before and he absolutely falls in love with. And it doesn't quite work. Like, we get these really like tight shots on her like mostly on her bottom half um we get a couple shots of the you know her just kind of twirling in the water to one point where she does go down too low her like i don't know how exactly i want to call them flippers but they're those like weird things you put on your feet the divers put on their feet so they can swim a little better and a little faster you probably know what i'm talking about and they probably have a name and i don't really have the time or nor the patience to go and fucking look it up but she loses both of them and she eventually passes out dr morgan goes and grabs her and brings her back into the boat and that's where you know he does scold her a little bit on you know her going down too low um and especially with everybody worried about her safety down in the ocean. How is she? No, I'm done. No thanks to you, Grant. Well, you've had quite a bit of excitement, you three. The image, Morgan, the big object. Did you see it? Sim, all right. It's your creature, Dr. Barton. You found him. Well, you came through for me, Grant. Now, gentlemen, I guess the rest is up to us. The creature isn't going to be easy to capture. Not anymore. He knows how to fight us, so there's nothing to do for the moment except wait and hope we can keep track of them. We'll all have to be armed from now on. Yes, we'd better. 
I'm sorry I made so much trouble. You're a very brave woman. You shouldn't take such chances. You know, taking chances isn't just a man's privilege. Trying to kill oneself isn't either. You take risks. I take calculated risks for a purpose. But what are you trying to prove? I should have known. You're a scientist. You need proof. You never take anyone's word for anything. I deserve that. Forgive me. If there's anything I can do. No. No, there's nothing anyone can do. Ten years ago, when I was 17, when Dr. Barton married me, I... I'm really feeling sorry for myself now, aren't I? Look, I managed to learn a few things. At least I know what the world under the sea looks like. It can be very beautiful. Pardon me, ma'am, but I have to prepare for dinner. Yes. Well, I have some work to do. Excuse me, Mrs. Barton. So, you know, he's kind of scolding her for falling to what they call the um, raptures of the deep, right? That's when, that's how she lost her stuff. Like, she removed all of her scuba gear, basically, and was like, oh, I'm so in love with the water and this stuff, and I just got to strip everything off. You know, she could have stripped off more than just the scuba gear, but that's what she did. And... It's kind of a weird situation. She's able to throw it back really easily, which I do like about her character, but she still gives in to a lot of shit, and she's still kind of just a generic female character that's really there to be wanted by a bunch of different people. You know, she's wanted by Grant pretty obviously because the way that he looks at her and the way that he interacts with her throughout the film. He's She's wanted by her husband who kind of views her more as like his, like an object that he has. And then in a way, she's wanted by Dr. Morgan as well. And there's some of the Gilman in terms of it, but not so much to be honest. It's more or less like a false pretense, right? Because of the way the underwater scenes are kind of shot. And she's meant to be kind of wanted by the audience at the same time because of how we're focusing on her and I think a lot of what she actually wears in this film. She's always dressed in some type of like skin type dress or some type of one piece like skin type thing. Like she's just there to be an object for everybody in the film. You don't really get it so much from Dr. Morgan, but he really like treats her in that fashion, but he also at the same time like backs off a little bit from it. When she throws it back, then he's just kind of like, "Okay, you know, I get it, but, you know, it's not just, you know, he says there that, you know, you don't want to go off and get, you know, it's not a man's duty, you know, to go off and get killed. And then she's like, well, you know, or it's not a woman's duty, I should say. And she's like, well, it's not a man's either. And so he's like, yep, fair enough. You know, I shouldn't have spoken that way. So he's definitely the kinder, gentler soul and kind of the 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 thing that everybody in the film should strive to be like if you need some type of like protagonist he would be the closest to being the protagonist of the whole situation which is very weird because i don't consider anybody to be an antagonist or protagonist in this film but if i had to choose one it would definitely be him and she would be the reason why everybody's acting the way it is because even up to this point and especially at this point 
you get the feeling finally that there is this big, deep-seated jealousy that Dr. Barton has with his wife when she's around other men because she's so beautiful that there's, you know, the only thing that men are going to want is to fucking sleep with her. And she's so fucking, like, ditzy or, like, troublesome that that's exactly what she's going to do. And we see that here in this scene right after she's finished talking with Dr. Morgan. You were with Dr. Morgan for quite a long time. Please don't start again, Bill. Don't start accusing me. You're my wife, Marsha. Conduct yourself that way. I always have, Bill. I don't know any other way. Don't ever try to leave me. Don't ever try to make a fool of me. See, he's just, like, completely jealous. Like, ridiculously jealous. Don't ever try to leave me. And he's really fucking creepy about it. Like, here, you're mine, and you will always be mine. And she married him at, like, 17? Like, that seems awfully, awfully young to be getting to that situation. But then again, this was the 50s, and I'm pretty sure that these things happened all the fucking time. But nowadays, you know, most people don't end up with somebody till quite 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 a bit older um even though in some situations still ends up the same but he does seem quite a bit older than she is and that you know what grant said earlier in terms of buying her maybe he actually did who knows we don't get a whole lot of backstory in it but we do know that because she's young she's beautiful he's really worried that he's gonna lose her to another man because you know she doesn't really love him or some shit like that so there's not a whole lot of creatures so far in this movie, and we've already gone through almost a half an hour of the film, especially with such a short film. And so they decide to follow the creature where it's going, and that's when they realize the creature's not really, you know, being followed, but rather it's leading them into danger, and that in fact, it's actually beginning to follow them. Shallow water, I don't like it. We can still go a long ways upstream. We'll get him this time. He's boxing himself into a corner. Could be the other way around. Not a chance. He knows his way around places like this. He's dropping back of us. We do speed. Yes, sir. Dr. Johnson, what you're reading now? About 30 feet astern. But he seems to be holding his position at that distance. He's following us. He's stalking us now. Captain, increase the speed. Yes. The image is dropping back. Now it seems to be moving forward. He's following us at the same distance again. He's following us at the same distance again. It doesn't seem possible. Well, the lion, the wolf, the shark, they stalk and wait for the kill. They sense when their victim is coming into a trap. Now, why wouldn't he? He's more than cunning. He reasons. Well, I'm not going into a trap. You'll take him alive if he lets us. But if he gets too close, I'm not going to argue. I'll kill him. When do you think he'll attack? I don't know. But he led us into this river. Probably, when we can't move forward any further. 
okay, first off, turn the fuck around. Like, you can, you realize that you're going into a trap, but you want to catch him so much, and you think that you're so much smarter than him, but remember, he's not as smart as a man, he's as smart as the fucking devil. I'm sorry, devil. Um, it's fucking ridiculous that they could have just, like, gotten out of the situation, or you know what? Stop the boat, put it in reverse, and maybe if you're fast enough, you can just run over the fucking gill, man, and you can pull him up from the water. Who the fuck knows? Uh, so they decide that, okay, you know what, the best way to do it is just to continue forward and eventually trap him in some type of, like, alcove or some type of, like, I don't know, black lagoon somewhere, uh, so that way they can actually bring him back onto the ship, which is what they actually do. They grab the, you know, the, the chemical that they're going to use to subdue him, as well as they hook up a couple of, like, harpoons, um, that with like some like animal tranquilizer, probably some elephant tranquilizer that they're going to use to take him down. Uh, and they slowly get into what they find happens to be a corner to where they know that he will attack them. And that's where Dr. Morgan, he lays out the plan of exactly what they're going to do to capture this guy. Well, the Ronan room checks out. We'd better review procedure. If he comes within toxic distance, Dr. Morgan will signal me and I'll discharge the Ronan room. If he comes aboard, Grant will try to get him with a spear. And Grant, remember, the object is to capture him, not to kill him. So much as you might be tempted, try not to hit a vital area. And as far as using the guns, if we have to, we'll be defeating our own purpose. So I guess that's it. He's moving ahead of us. So that's when all of a sudden, after he's moved ahead of everybody, he comes out of the water and he throws the boat up in the air. And everybody before the boat is actually like shot up by probably some like type of compressed air. They all just jump off the boat and it looks really terrible. Like they all know that it's going to happen. They're all preparing for it. You can see them and then they jump and he throws the boat up. And actually, I really like the way this is cheesy as it is. This whole scene is actually done pretty well. And I believe if I saw it on the big screen, I would be pretty excited to see the Gilman actually getting back in action and kicking some ass and taking some fucking names here. Though he doesn't actually kill anybody in this film. Well, not yet. Spoiler alert. Um, so he throws the boat up in the air. Everybody gets back in the boat and they're all trying to get prepared again. And he comes up from behind him and he jumps up onto the boat. And then... This is really ridiculous, too. Like, he grabs the gas can, and he's going to be, like, it looks like he's going to throw it, but instead he stops and completely covers himself with the fucking gas. Like, and then he gets shot twice with the two harpoons that have the sedative, but he's covered himself with the stuff, so, of course, they ignite and set his ass on fire. And when they set us on us on fire, it looks really fucking cool. Like, you see the guy in the suit, and he's just ablaze, and he's still trying to attack him. And then eventually they jump in the water. And then when he tries to grab a giant, like, branch that's fallen down out in the distance to use, like, to pick up, like, a giant fucking club, the sedative finally sets in. And he ends up passing out, and they're able to capture him. But they do notice that he has third-degree burns all over his body, uh, and that the gills are really not going to hold up very well for him. So they take him back onto the ship, and that's where they realize that there's only one way to save him, because he can't really breathe anymore, and he his gills itself, they've basically been like closed shut because of the, the burns that he has on his body, and 
they decide that there's only one thing they can do because they found something out about the creature and there's actually a way to make sure that he keeps on breathing and that maybe they can actually transform the creature. He isn't converting enough air into oxygen. If only we could reopen the gills and immerse them in water. No, the gills are too badly burned. He's dying of suffocation. But so slowly. He's getting a small air supply from some area. We were right. There is a perfect lung formation. It shows much darker than average. They could be partially collapsed. What's that light patch at the opening to the lungs? Not a typical human formation. Some African lungfish use gills in rainy season. And when the lakes dry up, their lungs open a reflex. A flap pulls back to let air in. He's getting very little oxygen. We've got to get those lungs inflated and working again. We'll do a tracheotomy immediately. Respiration falling. Increase the oxygen. Now the tracheotomy tube. We are changing a sea creature into a land creature. We only use what nature offered. The lungs were there. We didn't make them. You'll see, Dr. Morgan. Just don't move too fast trying to change him. Are you afraid of unknown things? I'm only afraid of misusing what I do know. So, this is what's really true about everything that's going to happen and the way that they talk about everything and what Dr. Barton thinks that he's actually doing compared to what actually is going on. So, the big thing is here is that, oh, well, look, we're actually changing him. No, you're not changing him. Like, he has basically human skin underneath. Well, skin, you know, a layer of skin, not necessarily human skin. That's just how the film decides to talk about it and... <laughs> you know, describe it when the, I guess to give the audience like, oh my God, like he's actually kind of humanoid, even though he looks humanoid, he's not just completely like a fish or something like that. You know, it's that weird fish human hybrid that we've heard so much about, uh, you know, from, you know, all those educational videos and everything like that, that you watch as a kid. I mean, didn't you watch those? I thought those were like, you know, a docu Oh, that might've just been like a South Park episode. Oh, but nonetheless, um, they find out that he actually has, you know, lungs and everything else, and that the gills are used to bring air into the lungs, but by doing the tracheotomy, they're actually able to open an air hole so that he can survive. So, in a way, yeah, they quote-unquote transformed him because they basically stuck a fucking metal pipe into his neck um, and made it so that he can breathe directly into his lungs without having to use the gills to bring in the air and filter everything down into his lungs. So just like Dr. Morgan said, we're not really doing any type of transformation. We're basically just making a bypass, right? We're giving him the ability to breathe, but we're not turning him into a landwalker, not leaving him permanently that way or some shit. But Dr. Barton believes that he's like this fantastic scientist and he's totally transforming this creature and oh my god i'm the greatest thing since 
sliced fucking bread or some shit like that. So it's kind of an odd situation that we've got going here. He's all bandaged up there on the, you know, on the bed. And everybody's still worrying a little more about him. They decide to hook him up to some different types of equipment and try to see if they can get some readings of activity and see if things have changed to maybe get a better understanding of what exactly the creature is going through after he's had this experience. Here's the reading. The charting hasn't varied much. This gap here and here, they show a disconnected thought process. He had a critically low supply of oxygen to the brain for more than an hour. It could have caused permanent injury. Ready for a reading. Okay. The metabolism rate shows several sharp changes. It was the method of breathing. By opening the lungs. You should have known. The step from fish to amphibian to mammal, it had to be the method of converting oxygen. So they believe that the oxygen here is what's actually causing him to like mutate. Like he's gone from being an amphibian now to being a mammal. But I don't really think that he's a fucking mammal. Just because you were able to put a fucking tube into his neck doesn't mean that you're able to actually change him. At the end of the that whole sequence, he starts breaking from his like restraints that are there on the table, and then he falls back asleep because he still has a heavy sedative on him. But it looked like he wanted to get up and try to escape, and he's probably panicking because he's completely wrapped in bandages, and he's there strapped to a fucking table. I think I'd try to get away too, and if I had the strength of the fucking Gilman, I'd fucking rip that shit off as well. The weird thing about this, and I guess we'll talk about it a little more later, is that the Gilman, he went from being relatively, like, thin and agile and everything like that, but the moment that he starts breathing air, he starts becoming a lot bulkier, like he's been fucking skipping leg day and just working on his chest and arms the entire time, because he becomes very fucking top-heavy, and his legs are pretty wimpy-wimpy, you know, skinny over there. It's just really weird that you see him in this, like, this weird costume. Like, you would think that he would stay the same, especially when they saw him down the water when he attacked everybody. He was still, like, skimpy fucking Gilman, unless, you know, the burns on his body, or that, you know, maybe the Gilman's a fucking Saiyan, and now that he's been beaten almost to death, all of a sudden he's just bolted up immensely, and he's got the power of fucking, you know, Thousand Sons or some shit. But, I don't know. It's just really weird when you think about it. So we cut over and we see Mrs. Barton. She wants to see the beast and she wants to learn a little more of what her husband's doing. And they say, well, hasn't he told you anything? And she's like, no. He's like, okay, mustache just fucking walks away. Like, he literally just leaves the situation like, okay, well, if you haven't been told anything, bye. Uh, I'm not going to say anything because your husband's fucking crazy and creepy and I don't want shit to happen to me. So... Uh, when he's ready to tell you something, he'll fucking tell you something. They go back in, and they're going to give him a little more of a sedative, but they decide that this is the time where they're going to take off the bandages, and they're actually going to see what he looks like underneath. And when they do start opening everything up, they realize that he actually does have a layer of skin, and that there was another thing that actually helped some of the mutation, or the change from him being completely just an amphibious creature that has gills to being something that's more of a land walker. The fire burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. Two separate coverings, the way he had lungs and gills. 
His sensitivity to pain is increasing. He needs some amount of protection, some clothing that will... So, the idea is now that he, the fire basically, they had to remove all of his scales because of the fire. And that's where it showed the, you know, skin-like undercovering that he has. And so, that's what makes him a little more. Again, they're not transforming him into this. He already has this. This exists in the anatomy already of this creature, right? The Gill Man, he has an outer layer that's probably like a protective layer and that allows him to breathe when he's underwater. And then the gills itself are the passageways that allows him to walk under land. So when he does get onto land, he doesn't fucking die right away. He can fucking breathe and then he can walk and terrorize everybody. If you take away the scales, then he's got a very like soft skin underneath it. But that doesn't mean that he's, like, transformed into this, like, mammal now. Like, he's not going to go around and lay eggs or anything like that. That he's just going to be fucking, you know, going around and his big fucking, you know, Gilman dick is going to be sitting out there. And he's going to be slapping bitches in the face with it and be like, yeah, I'm ready to get down. I'm ready to mate and make fucking, you know, regular babies who knows how he fucking multiplies and how he procreates? We don't know any of that. It, it could be that it's already there. And the reason he's done that because he doesn't want to open like a Forever 21 or a Levi's fucking store. I don't want to make fucking pants for myself. That's why I have the goddamn scales. It just allows me to run around fucking naked and I can get anything out when I want to get anything out. That's... Who knows, but it's, you're not transforming anybody. You're not doing anything scientific other than you're discovering some of this information. So I guess that's kind of scientific, but it's not really like you're actually doing anything to him other than you remove the scales. Okay, because you set him on fucking fire and because he had third degree burns all over his body. And they do remove everything from him and he looks fucking weird. Like, it just doesn't look normal or natural like this is the way it would look and like i said he just bulks the fuck up and when they especially when they give him clothes he looks like fucking debo from friday okay he's got the bald fucking head he's got wide fucking shoulders now and he's about ready to knock you the fuck out that's just what is going to go on with this guy so they decide that now that they've they've done it they've discovered this stuff you know what it's time to fucking party. And that's where you probably get the signature quote from the movie. Uh, and it comes from Dr. Morgan. And it's really like... And the thing is, is that in the beginning, maybe I didn't quite as understand it. Especially as you're watching what's going on between Dr. Barton and his wife. And also with, you know, her and Grant. And then the creature and how they're treating the creature and how they think the creature is going to be, especially how Dr. Barton sees it versus how Morgan sees the creature. You see that there's actually a similarity in between the two of them, between Mrs. Barton and the creature himself. Uh, and the, the whole line that comes out of Dr. Morgan is, you know, there's the jungle and the stars. And you know what? I might as well just have him explain the whole thing or tell you the whole thing the whole story. I missed it completely. You did? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no more thanks. You're trying to get me drunk. Oh, no. no, I've had my quota, thanks. Are you sure? I'm sure. All right. <laughs> oh, come now, gentlemen. A celebration isn't a celebration of you. It's self-control. But I'll admit it takes a lot of this stuff to even slow me down. <laughs> you know, Tom, alcohol hits some people faster than others because of metabolism, rate of absorption, and, well, you know... 
change metabolism and maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe eliminate drunk drivers. <laughs> well, that's not bad for me, Marsha, is it? We don't have much laughter anymore, do we, Marsha? Tom, we found the secret. Change the metabolism and man will change. Maybe. Oh, the demonstrable scientific fact is in that cabin. Well, I, uh, rather not argue the point now, Doctor. Let's take it up some other time. After all, a celebration is... No, don't a... be condescending, Doctor. If I can discuss it, don't you evade it. All right. As a geneticist, I know, the way any geneticist does, that nature hasn't created a new major type of animal on this Earth for over 400 million years. <laughs> the creature's a different major type. You saw it yourself. Uh, it's the interaction of heredity and environment for millions of years that makes you new species. We only change the skin, Doctor, not the animal. But we can bring out the best or worst in any living thing. Environment does that. If it threatens him, if he's afraid of us, he'll revert to the wanton killer. And that's why I've gone along with you. Because I want to know for myself. Because we all stand between the jungle and the stars at a crossroads. I think we better discover what brings out the best in humankind and what brings out the worst. Because it's the stars or the jungle. Well. Good night, gentlemen. This is Barton. Doctor. So, basically what I gathered from what he's saying is that it's either going to be, we're going to revert back to what we used to be, right? We're either going to go back to our primitive selves, or we're going to shoot for the stars and we're going to evolve upon what we actually are. And we're just walking a tightrope in between that and something could set us over and he believes that it's violence and it's things like jealousy and those things that are very primal in nature so there really hasn't been anything that's kind of changed us in the longest amount of time and there really hasn't been any new type of species of creature there hasn't been an offshoot of anything in a very long time as well hundreds of thousands of years since you know man evolved if you you know if you want to think in that type of route and so you have this but we still walk along the lines of reverting back into that primitive being and humans do do that or there are some humans that don't revert and are a little more passive and peaceful and they evolve further amongst themselves and they become more and then they get to shoot for the stars so he's basically trying to say that you know the creature even though you know barton wants to believe this is a new species we've created something we're basically it's like almost like he's saying oh i'm god and i've done something that nature hasn't done in the longest time but morgan's really trying to keep him as level-headed as possible in being that look you didn't actually create everything this exists we just changed some things and we didn't they didn't really even change anything in fact it was still nature it was the fire well it was the fact that he decided to burn himself up like a monk protesting something um uh, that actually changed the way that he was um and that allowed them to give him new life without his current fucking like status right so they all decide that they're gonna go off to bed and that's going to leave Dr. Barton and his wife alone. And that's where things get, again, just a little too goddamn creepy. And honestly, just a little fucking rapey. Jungle of the stars. The fools. Can't they see I want to catch a star? 
such a good wife. Such a dutiful wife. You straighten up after parties. And drinks, sir. Sir, drinks. You're such a fine no, wife. No, please. Please, wife. Please trust you. Don't, Marsha. so he ends up becoming primal again he goes back into the jungle even though he says he wants to catch a fucking star but he's not able to do that and he just looks at her and he looks at her in that primal way where he's like oh you're such a dutiful wife originally i thought he said beautiful but then i realized it's dutiful meaning like she does stuff and she does what a wife should do and you know all this stuff and that's what i guess turns him the fuck on and then she's like no not like this and maybe it's because he's drunk or because he's acting that way and it's really bothering her she doesn't really like it but then he goes and forces himself upon her and it's really kind of an awkward scene that you're watching and then after he kisses her she doesn't change her expression at all and that's what pisses him off and he becomes even more primal where he just throws her on the fucking couch so he's fucking stuck by you know, like in the jungle even though he wants to be and grab a star but because of the way that he's treating her he's gonna be stuck there forever you know and that, of course, causes Grant to come in and try to be Captain save -a And, like, he tries to express how he feels for her and realizes, well, you don't love your husband, so that means that, you know, I have a chance to be rapey with you instead. And that also causes, at the same time, the creature who, though, now is changed uh, and has his clothes changed and is locked in a room, supposedly, he actually figures a way to get out and then also stop the advances of Grant in the next scene. Cotton. You know, the more reason you've got to be friendly, the less friendly you get. You have a vivid imagination, Mr. Grant. Just because I haven't spoken to my husband oh, about you... come on, Marcia, let's be friends, huh? Being a friend of yours isn't going to solve my problems. Can't you understand that? No. Tell me again. Please, will you stop? They'll hear us. Okay, then. Tell me quietly. this scene this is kind of where i realized how good of a woman that mrs you know barton is because and i guess it's marcia uh, fuck if i know like i said a lot of different things um <laughs> going through the goddamn movie but he like he's really trying to push himself on her and he thinks that that's exactly what she wants well, she doesn't love, you know, her husband, and here I am, hunky fucking pecks of solid steel, Grant, and I can totally get you, and I'll totally make you happy, but she doesn't want that either. She doesn't want 
either type of person. And they're both very fucking, if you have to put it in, very jungle about the whole thing between the two of them. They both have their own things, and his is a very carnal instinct. This is what he wants, and he thinks that this is what she wants because, and what she needs because she doesn't want anything to do with her husband. But who knows? It could be just that she's, you know... She's fallen out from him because he's changed so much. And maybe he is a super abusive husband. Who fucking knows? I mean, by what he shows there in that previous scene, you can kind of infer that maybe he is a little abusive. And that's the reason why she doesn't really want to be with him anymore. But it comes down to the fact that even though, you know, this situation arises, she doesn't want what he's given either, what Grant's giving. And she's able to, like shoo him off at every single notice and he tries to start making out with her and that allows the creature to escape and the creature starts fucking shit up again and starts attacking Grant and then he turns over to her he looks at her and then he just walks away he basically saves her from Grant and whatever Grant was going to try to do and as fucking jealous and fucking like ridiculous as her husband is they don't hear her fucking yelling saying, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. Nobody does anything. Like, is he just trying to fucking catch her in their act or some shit like that? Like, I'm just going to let this shit happen, then I'm going to call her a fucking whore once, you know, something's happened to her. I don't fucking know. But the creature does come in and saves a fucking day. In my opinion, he is the true fucking hero of this movie. He's not like he is in the other two movies, right? He really, like, the first one, he's kind of a misunderstood beast. And in the second one, uh, a little, but he truly is, like, a danger to everything. He gets loose, he got captured, but he goes on a fucking killing spree. Here, he, like, he's all drugged out, he's trying to just fucking escape, he just wants to go back in the fucking water, and the only people, or the only person he attacks in this whole scene is Grant, because Grant's being a fucking dick. So the humans are officially worse than the creature in the whole fucking movie. So then he runs out onto the deck and he dives into the water and Dr. Morgan's like, no, he's going to go in and he doesn't have his gills, so he's not going to be able to breathe the water. And when he tries to use his gills, instead it's going to go through the tracheotomy hole and he's going to die. And what happens? He starts to drown the water. Dr. Morgan goes after him, but he's able to save him by using his scuba gear to give him some air as he goes up. What I feel is weird is that... They don't stick it in the tracheotomy hole, but they actually put it in the mouth of the gill man. And they bring him back on the board. And then they finally arrive outside of San Francisco. You see the Golden Gate Bridge. And they arrive in Sausalito. It actually looks like they're actually going on to Angel Island. And I don't know if you guys know what that is. But it's a beautiful place here in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but originally called into Sausalito to get a place ready. And actually to get like an electric cage ready. So they've arrived over here you know, in the Bay Area, and, and they brought the creature. And we're getting really close to the end of the movie. I think we're in the last, like, 20 minutes of the film, and I'm like, oh my god, so when is he supposed to go run amok in the city, like it says on the goddamn poster, and it seems like it says in some of the descriptions of the movie? Um, spoiler alert, he doesn't, because he gets locked up inside of a cage. And we see that Dr. Barton, he basically is, like... He's now becoming super, super jealous of every man that has any type of contact with her. And, you know, even though he set up this thing to capture 
the creature, he's also kind of capturing his wife in the situation that they're in. And we see a chat between Dr. Morgan and Dr. Barton after we overhear what's going on between Dr. Barton and his wife. Uh, that he's really trying to kind of like lay it out for him and be like, look, you need to watch yourself because what you're doing is pretty fucked up. And we're not just talking about the creature when I'm talking to you. We're actually talking about the humans that are around you. Back to your room. I don't want to I'm not going room. to have you parading around here in front of a gang of men. Do you hear me? Do you mind if I take the car and drive to San Francisco and see? We'll discuss it later. Perhaps if I can find the time, I'll take you for a drive myself. But until then, you're to do as I say. Now go into the house. Sorry to have kept you waiting. This is a two-way mirror. We can see him, but he can't see us. He hears the water, but he doesn't remember it. He doesn't even know that if he returned to the water, he'd drown. His gills may grow back. Never. His features, his skin, they're more like a human's every day. He's even lost the need for violence. Because we've treated him kindly. The change is biological, not psychological. Well, forget the technical terms, doctor. It's kindness, not pain. You mean he returns kindness with kindness? I believe it. You think that's always true, Doctor? Do you think that if I give kindness, I can always get kindness in return? How do you mean? Oh, come, come, Dr. Morgan. You're a very perceptive man. I'd rather not talk about it. It isn't any of my business. Then clinically, as a scientist, you should be interested. Imagine how often love is returned with hate and loyalty is returned with infidelity. Is that a proven fact? Oh, facts, Dr. Morgan. I only deal in facts in reality, only that. We make our own reality sometimes. The facts are that when love is returned with hate, loyalty is returned with infidelity, how long does it take before something has to be done about it? Like what? What do you mean? Since we're talking about people. Are we, Doctor? I thought we were talking about animals, about the creature. All right, about the creature. If he thinks all men are his enemy, if he can't see things the way they are, instead of the way he thinks they are, he lives in terrible fear. <laughs> He's only an animal. The same holds true for man. If man or animal becomes too terrified to think, he resorts to violence. And in the animal world, it's called the law of the jungle. But when it happens to human beings, its name is murder. <laughs> I had to leave the little, like, crescendo there at the end because it's like, dun-dun-dun. Like, it's just an allegory of what's going to come on later, and he's really, truly not talking about the creature. I mean, he is, but he's trying to show him that, look, you and him are exactly the same. That you think that this is an animal. In fact, you're more the animal than he is at the situation. And if you don't trust the people that are around you, you're going to fucking flip off the end of your lid. And then you're just going to go off and you're going to do something that you're fucking going to regret. And in his case, he says it's going to be murder. Like, And that's, of course, going to set up what's going to happen later on in the film. 
it's just kind of a weird situation. You hear in the beginning, she's just like, I just want to go into fucking San Francisco and I want to go see the sights. Maybe she's never been there. And he's just like, no, you can't go by yourself. You have to go with me. And, uh, uh, maybe if I find time later, uh, we can go and, and you, you, you can, you know, you can see the sights and we'll, I'll take you where I want to take you, but I don't want you going out there by yourself because there's other men out there and other men are going to be doing stuff and they're going to just want to fuck you right away. And you're going to be like, Oh, okay. I'll just totally give myself in and I can't fucking have that. And she's like, how did you mimic my voice so well? And he's like, because I've been studying you while you fucking sleep. That's why it's so ridiculous. Like he doesn't see it. He's so blind with this fear and jealousy that she is going to just go out there and fuck every guy that's available because he's such a horrible fucking person that he doesn't want, he wants to keep her in his own cage, just like he's keeping the creature in this electrified cage with sheep. What did the sheep fucking do? Like, is the sheep meant to be food for him or something like that? Or is he just afraid that they're, or not afraid, but not worried that he's not going to do anything to them? I, I don't know. It's, it's just really weird that there's sheep in there. I don't get it. Uh, or maybe he's expecting maybe something else with the sheep. I, I really hope not, but we'll have to see what happens. So, you know, Dr. Morgan, he's truly now worried for Mrs. Barton here. And that, you know, she's going to be trapped in the same type of situation. And that maybe there's a reason that she needs to get away from the whole thing. And so he goes upstairs to confront her and basically kind of talk to her about her husband. And maybe try to figure something out so that they can have a better life with each other. It's very nice. Thank you. I didn't know you could play the guitar. Well, I... I used to. When you had more reason? What is it? Your husband. He's uh, a very brilliant man, I'm sure you know that. Yes. But he's a deeply... I believe the clinical definition is a disturbed man. I tried to tell you. I don't know what all my motives are for telling you this, but your husband needs help. He isn't the kind that accepts help because he never admits he's wrong. Besides, what can I do? You're his wife. Take a great deal of courage. Maybe just patience. No, Dr. Morgan, courage. And I don't have that kind of courage anymore. Swimming is wonderful. Someone once said it was... It was like being born again. I can understand why the creature never wanted to leave the water. We all have to leave the past sometime. If life is going to mean anything. Maybe. Maybe it's too late to leave it. For some people. As a matter of fact, I think I'll take a swim right now. Well, be careful, Marcia. So, she goes out and she changes to her bikini and before she goes down into the water, Dr. Barton comes over and he basically berates her and calls her a tramp for wanting to go out swimming. Like, he's just getting even more and more insane as everything goes along. And in fact, she didn't want to go along in the first place and he made her go beyond this boat with a bunch of random men because he was so worried about it and then he's become even more worried as he's trying to change the Gill Man to be something more than he actually is. It's a really weird situation and this is more of what the movie is about than what the fucking, like, thing with the story with the Gilman. Like, yeah, they're trying to change him, they're trying to do this stuff, 
But it's more coming to the realization that, again, another one of these stories where man is the real monster, it's not the monsters that you find out there. And as much as he's trying to change the Gill Man and to make him into something new, he doesn't want to change himself, which he should be focusing on. And Dr. Morgan really has finally seen this and is trying to war like warn her, hey, you know, this could be fucking worse. And when he originally talked about murder, I really thought maybe it's about something else or somebody else. But I think Dr. Morgan was really trying to say that, hey, maybe you're going to get to the point that you're going to kill your fucking wife because you're so worried about the shit that she's not doing and doesn't seem like she would ever do. And you see with her interactions with Grant, especially after this, like, he goes down to see her, you know, in the water, and he's like, oh, hey, uh, we have the same idea. We were going to go swimming. And, like, he's trying to push himself on her, and she keeps saying, like, go away. I don't want anything to do with you. Just get the fuck away with me. Like, from me, not with me. Uh, and, like, get out of here don't fuck with me anymore i don't want to deal with this and i definitely don't want to deal with my husband who's a fucking psychotic motherfucker and we don't want to worry about it you know just leave me the fuck alone and he doesn't take no for a fucking answer and then goes jumps in the water with him which of course upsets dr barton even more it's just this crazy like I really felt when, you know, you're going to watch it, you look at the posters, and you're like, oh my god, this is going to be, like, fun again, we're going to see the creature go on a rampage. He doesn't really do that. Like, he's just a, a, a prisoner of his situation. He only is here to move the things along and to show you how fucked up dr barton is in comparison to him in the other films you know he does get captured or they go into his situation the first one especially you know they go into his world and he kidnaps the girl because he's so in love with her he has this infatuation with her and it makes sense for them to fight back against him and try to save it it kind of happens in the second film as well but they bring him to this you know that theme park and make him a spectacle and you know they want to like show him off to everybody oh my god look at this weird thing that we found in the middle of nowhere and then when he finally gets away he does capture the girl as well because that's what you know women are in these old films they're just objects of affection and everything and everybody wants a piece of that ass and so it's okay for them to kind of go after him again because no he shouldn't be trying to kidnap the girl but here it's really this like sympathetic view because he's both the doctor and the wife at the same time but he's more at least as we get towards the end of the film he's a more representation of mrs barton than dr barton because he only is lashing out after so much shit has fucking been done to him and that things are attacking him and this is also like proven by what happens that night where he's inside of the cage and then all of a sudden you hear cat sounds and you hear a bobcat come out and the bobcat like goes along the fence and you watch the gill man watch him and beforehand he's still looking towards the ocean too i i should mention this he's just longing to get out of there he wants to go back to where he's from he doesn't want to be here anymore he doesn't want to be a land person he doesn't want to be a human he just wants to be him and to be left the fuck alone and he dreams of the fucking ocean and he even watches what goes on between grant and mrs barton over here and like just he's first lovingly looking at her like oh man she gets to swim she gets to be what i want to be and here i am i'm just trapped here 
You know, he just dreams of be being with that freedom, not realizing that she doesn't have that freedom as well. Like, he could completely escape if he gets in the water, at least I believe that's what he would think. But she can't. And then he sees how everybody else is kind of treating her, and it it has a reaction in him uh, that you can't really see, but you, you don't see it in his face because the face never changes. But the eyes that are used for the, you know, the guy inside of the suit, there's a lot of emotion in those eyes. And you can tell that he thinks that she's very similar, but he doesn't know, you know, everything that's going on, but he... I just feel like there's that portrayal there that he knows that, you know, she can't quite escape. Like, going to another place on land would give her the ability to get away from her situation as him getting into the ocean and just being able to swim away. But they have their different type of cages where, you know, he may go on land for a bit to be kind of just to get away from the home and relax and do all this stuff and just enjoy it. But it's like a, uh, I don't want to stay there forever type of situation where she's like, you know, swimming is the only release that she has. And she can't even do that because Grant is trying to fucking stick his dick in her. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so ridiculous at the same time, like, that I find it absolutely beautiful. Like, I find this, like, little, at least the things that I've kind of put onto the Gill Man, because maybe that's not the situation, I'm totally fucking wrong, but I feel like putting that on top of him really makes the story that much stronger. So at night, the bobcat is roaming around the cage and it ends up jumping in, killing one of the sheep, and then it goes to attack the gillman because he's just staring at her as, as it's going, and he kills the bobcat. That causes uh, Dr. Morgan and Dr. Barton, Baldy and Mustache to come out, and they look and they're like, oh, he's finally killed again. And then Morgan's like, but... It looks like he killed in self-defense, like the thing was attacking him, and the only way that he could get out of here is that he killed it. And they're like, no, he's an animal, and only animals just kill for whatever. And then you see, you know, Dr. Or Grant and Dr. Barton's wife all of a sudden walk up, and he looks over, and he's like, oh, no, he's she's been cheating. Oh, no. Like, that's the face that he, like, gives her. And again, he's had this face the whole fucking movie, so you know that he's, like, paranoid, delusional, where the fuck he is. And so that night, he goes into Grant's room, Dr. Barton does, and he tells Grant that you need to just get the fuck out of here right now. Pack your shit. He takes some money out of his pocket and he throws it at him like he's a cheap dollar store fucking hooker and tells him that he needs to get the fuck out of here. I don't care how you do it, but just get away. So Grant packs everything up and then as they're walking down the stairs, he provokes Dr. Barton one last time to deadly consequences. What's bothering you, Doc? Your wife? Get out. Oh, it must be your wife, Doc. Shut up and get out. Okay. But it could have been any guy she'd get friendly with. She hates you that much. <laughs> so he pulled something from his pocket, which was possibly the gun, that for some reason they're all fucking carrying. It's funny, one scene, that scene where he like kind of gets up, it looks at the, the gill man, he gets up, and then all of a sudden it pans back and everybody's got their guns pointed. I'm like, where the fuck did they get those guns? And so he basically kills Grant by beating him over the head. And he looks around, he starts to panic, he picks up Grant, he looks over 
at the gill man and he turns off the part of the fence and he tries to frame the gill man and saying that he's the one that killed grant and of course the gill man ain't taking that shit so he breaks out and breaks down the electric fence and starts running after dr barton into the house and then you get this fantastic scene of him just throwing everything everywhere destroying everything in the house fuck your table fuck your lamp fuck your windows fuck your you know your side fixtures fuck this stuff and then you see you get this really cool shot and it's like you just see the shadow of the gilman so you're walking as the gilman and you see these shadows behind a curtain and he's walking towards it and he's walking towards it and then he opens it up and it turns out that and i thought it was dr barton with his wife and like he was trying to you know use her basically to protect himself but it turns out it's actually dr morgan and he's trying to protect uh, dr barton's wife and the gilman looks and looks at him and then he just turns away and he walks out and it's like because he's not been the violent one and he's shown kindness to the monster he doesn't do anything and he also sees you know just like when grant was trying to attack her the first time and he looked over at mrs barton here he didn't do anything to her he only attacked grant and he left and he looks at both of them and he turns around and he leaves and he does eventually find dr barton upstairs he corners him after he's destroyed you know some more couches and like a, a shelf and uh, a dresser and shit like that because dr barton is trying to bar himself in uh into a room and eventually in one of the most ridiculous scenes uh he does kill dr barton by picking him up and just fucking slamming his ass off the balcony of the building that they're at um and he picks him up and everything looks normal and when he throws him it's an obvious like ragdoll that he throws down but he does kill dr barton and then he escapes um he does get shot up a couple times because the police and everybody eventually get there shoot at him he walks away he walks over the electrified fence which was supposed to be turned off but for effect here he walks and you see the sparks fly and he escapes into the distance uh and then we cut over to the next morning and we see dr morgan mustache and baldy and they're all talking and baldy believes that the whole experiment was a failure because they weren't able to turn him into a regular human being or a mammal-like type of creature but dr morgan he thinks that actually you know what the experience with the creature and everything that happened turned out to actually be a success and then we see the creature he walks off into the dishes distance looks at the ocean begins to walk into the ocean and then the credits roll well our experiment's over and it's failed the beast remains a beast i don't think so the creature moved a step forward he didn't attack until he was attacked he killed a real enemy and barton uh, he killed an enemy of his own creation the whole world was his enemy we're not so far from the jungle after all not so far from the stars either i guess the way we go depends upon what we're willing to understand about ourselves and willing to admit. Goodbye, Dr. Johnson. Goodbye. Dr. Borg, thank you for everything. Mrs. Barton, are you ready to leave? Yes, the office is taking me to the train. We'll arrange everything here. Will I see you again? Yes, of course. Yes. Right. Got it. 
an all-points call out on him. Say they sighted him five miles west of here, heading for the coast. And that was The Creature Walks Among Us. Now, this film is, and I should say this, and I kind of think I mentioned in the beginning, I was talking about 3D. This is actually the only one of the films that wasn't shot in 3D. When I was talking about the Blu-rays and the transfer, and I think that I was thinking more about The Revenge of the Creature, and that transfer is terrible for the 3D. But this one actually wasn't shot in 3D. So before the corrections department comes in and starts attacking me about it, (laughs) this one is the only one not in 3D. Um... It's it's a lot better than I remembered it being. Like, I really felt that, you know, because it, it just didn't make much sense. There's not a whole lot of creature in this one. And in fact, a lot of the stuff that happens really happens in the last, like, 15 minutes of the film. It's way too short. It only runs for, like I said, an hour and 15 minutes. And I believe that this was a double feature with another film when you first saw it. So you get two hours of movie, but you only get a shortened version of this movie along with the other film. Um, And it's just quite, like, it's just interesting. I wouldn't, I feel like this was another story that just had the Gill Man tacked on. Like, they could have had something else. It could have been like a Frankenstein-style story um, or anything else where it's trying to basically show that the creature is more human than the human in the movie that turns out to be the true bad guy. Um, I I think that some of the things were just a little long-winded, that it was a little bit... You know, like I said, the whole climax at the end, I really wish that there would have been more of those types of scenes with the Gilman him going crazy because he's learned the violence from everybody else. But at the same time, how he basically gets his revenge on the person that captured him and that forced him to become a mammal and take him away from, well, not a mammal, but a landwalker and take him away from his habitat. You know, he did it, and he really did it because the guy was a fucking dick and fucking deserved it. You know, Dr. Morgan, I, like I said, I believe that he was telling him that, hey, you're going to end up killing your wife if you just don't fucking, like, let it go, man. And it ultimately cost him his life because he ended up killing Grant because he couldn't deal with the fact that he was just so jealous and possessive, and he really was stuck in the jungle. He really wasn't shooting for the stars, where Dr. Morgan... He just has a level head on himself, and, you know, there is, like, something, like, you can, whether it's, you know, he's into Mrs. Barton or not, or if he's just, like, worried for her safety, he's not there to be the person that's gonna, like, try to take over the situation, but he really believes in the, you know, that the universe, or that humans themselves have the capacity to be better people, Um, They just need to let some of those, like, grievances of jealousy and knacks for violence behind. And that if you showed that to the creature, 
he would respond in kindly, which he ultimately did. He responded to violence and the way that basically he was like a guardian angel in this film. He came in, he only attacked the people when, you know, he was threatened rather than being, you know, more of an antagonist, I would say, especially in The Creature from the Black Lagoon, I feel like he's a super antagonist in that one because they weren't really expecting what they were going to find, and he had killed the people that came to the camp in the first place, and basically was kind of protecting his environment, but at the same time, you know, it's something that they just didn't expect, and then they got stuck trying to fight off the creature and survive, where here, he's just being forced into the situation and he just wants to get away and he wants to go back to the ocean and he's not really trying to do anything to anybody else except for you know when crap is going down so i like it a lot more than i used to i i really feel that this as much of it's considered to be the b movie i like this better than revenge of the creature i think it's a much better film than i gave it credit for and it's possible because i saw it when i was young and i was expecting to be more like the creature from the black lagoon and to some extent revenge of the creature that i felt that it fell short and i don't think it falls short when you look at it from different angles i think it's actually quite fantastic i think that it is a good film and it's worth your watch um, and I'm glad that I took the time to, you know, one, jump on the board with these you know, sequel sequels and uh, look at this film again from a different perspective. Um, especially even when watching it the first time, I was kind of like, oh, okay, but going through it again and talking about it, I really, really enjoyed the film. Um, so it's it's just kind of, you know... I really wish we had more Gilman. Like, that's the only thing I would say about this film. Like, again, you don't have to have the Gilman in this film. They're using a property just to continue on using the property. And they could have just made this any old freaking creature. And I wasn't a big fan of the way it looked. Uh, like I said, he got fucking deboed uh, <laughs> as he went on to the film. Uh, versus, you know, being kind of this slim, thick guy, you know, well, thicker guy than he, you would see in other films. So, uh, overall, the gore, it's, it's non-existent. You see the Gilman catch on fire and get shot, so it's a one out of five. I don't really do zeros. Um, then the crap factor, I'd give it a three out of five, you know, with the way that some of the stunts were done, like, it's pretty obvious that they were ready to jump out of the boat. It's obvious that he poiled the gas on himself. Like, it, it, the way that the effect looks for the creature once he's lost his gills and his uh, scales and everything like that. Not the best in the world. Uh, the ragdoll bobcat, the ragdoll coming off of the top of the building. It's funny, it's cheesy, but, you know, it's kind of crappy at the same time. Uh, fun factor. Originally, I was going to give this a 3 out of 5, but I'm going to give it a, actually a 4 out of 5. I, I really did enjoy it the more that I dived into it. Um, maybe it's going to be a your mileage may vary type of thing, uh, you know, depending on what type of film or how you expect the film to be. Uh, but I would definitely give it a, a 4 out of 5 rather than a 3 out of 5. Overall, I'm going to give this film, um, though, 3 out of 5 uh, stuffed bobcats. I think that it's worth your time. Um, I think that it still falls short from being a classic. 
It's uh, definitely better than Revenge of the Creature, uh, which is surprising because, again, that was directed by the original director uh, versus this time it being, you know, somebody brand new and given kind of a weaker script, to be honest, that maybe could have been better. So, with that being said, that's, you know... <laughs> The creature walks among us. So, uh, how did you guys feel about the film? I, if you have seen this film, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, I'd really like to know your thoughts. Um, and, you know, you should be checking out the other uh, Universal Monster films that are going to be coming out. Uh, I believe, after me, we still have a couple left with Back in Time Pod and Paranormal Pativity. Uh They're going to be doing both of the, the movies uh, to end the whole sequel-a-thon. But go back and check out everybody that's done it before, from the B-Movie Bros., uh, to uh, Dave and Dave's Pop Culture Podcast with the Angry Dad himself uh, doing She-Wolf of London and go check out Cadavercast uh, and the Universal sequel that they did. Um, but uh, with that being said, we're going to go into a little bit of a theme uh, for a bit. And like I said, this was <laughs> caused by Dave himself um, because I've always wanted to do horror comedies, right? Horror comedies are, and I'm only going to do two, um, and I'm going to dip back in the well of a classic for a little while. Um, and maybe even for both of them. We'll see. Um, but I really enjoy the horror comedies. Like, there are some really good ones. There's some really cheesy ones. Ones that aren't necessarily meant to be super funny. Uh, but are just kind of out there and like a little bit too over the top with the shit that they do. And I wanted to look at something that... Uh, even going back and getting the trailer for this, and I'm super excited to see this fucking movie again. I was laughing my ass off at a lot of it, and I ended up watching bloopers for like 20 minutes or something like that. Um, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to doing this film. But the the main reason for doing this film and uh, is because somebody <laughs> again because Dave has never seen it before. And uh, I want him to watch this movie. I've been wanting him to watch this movie. And that movie, uh, ladies and gentlemen, happens to be the Mel Brooks classic, Young Frankenstein. It's coming from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Nice, you hear me? Give my creation Sky means business. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Peter Boyle as the monster. <laughs> Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh. Horace <laughs> Leachman as Frau Blucher. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. What do you want to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Kill the monster! Female Brooks, Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. I absolutely love this movie, and I'm, it's no, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to hide it. Um, it's got some of my favorite all-time actors in it in gene wilder peter boyle cloris leishman uh madeline uh god damn it 
Khan. Well, I was about to say Madeline Albright. That's why my, my mind like totally slipped. But I mean, I'm such a Mel Brooks lover and probably apologist um, to the fact that like Dracula Dead and loving it. I know it's terrible, but I, it's one of my favorite fucking movies to watch because uh, it's got so many great fucking lines in it. Um, but it's not necessarily his best, but it's a bit like, yeah, it's better than a lot of other comedies that are out there. Um, this, and, and this was done at a time, you know, like he said, in black and white, pardon me, like he really tried to recreate the feeling. And I felt coming out of the Universal Monster movies that this was the way to go. Because again, like I said, he really tried to recreate the Universal Monster like experience with young Frankenstein. And that's why I feel like this movie is a perfect movie to come out of The Creature Walks Among Us because we're doing all these great Universal Monster horror movies and why not go and dip into the well and do one that is, one, to me, fantastic, and two, um, something that I think everybody should watch, three, that tries to capture the essence of these old universal films while being completely ridiculous at the same time and uh you know com like i said completely in black and white uh especially for a time where you know this was done back in um 1974 so <laughs> everything was basically colorized at this point and a lot of people are like why are you going back to black and white but he did this for an aesthetic reason so it's uh it's something that you have to see um, I encourage everybody to go out there and try to find it. it used to be on Netflix, um, and I couldn't, it said it was on Prime, but Prime said it wasn't available to stream for some reason. I believe if you look really hard, you can find it on YouTube, um, but it's able to rent on a lot of different platforms like iTunes, Google Play, all those places. So, and you know what, I feel like this is a movie that you should have in your collection as well. Um, but anyway, you can find it, please watch it because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be sight gags um, that you have to see. Uh, but Peter Boyle as fucking Frankenstein's monster is so good. Cloris Leachman is so good in this movie. Gene Wilder is so good. Like, everybody is so good in this movie um, that just listening to the trailer again, I'm laughing my ass off because I know where things are going. And I chose this one specifically because there was another one that I thought was better, but it gave away some things if you've never seen the film before um, that are... Uh, fun revelations in the film and some of my best uh, favorite parts. Um, Madeline Kahn is fantastic in her roles in this, especially her interactions with Peter Boyle, but I don't want to give it... Oh man, I'm thinking of so many other scenes that are great. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a parody of Frankenstein. It's definitely more of a farce, um, but it's fantastic. So definitely would give that a watch before you go and you you listen to the podcast or you know what you know i know some of you guys out there just listen to the podcast so this week instead of giving a normal podcast shout out i want to give a shout out to an artist um her name how i've interacted with her is wada um but it's maria guadalupe fernandez um who uh, her username is guadalupe on reddit um I don't, I wish, I'm going to find it, I'm, and I'm going to post it up like crazy, because I think she's such a fantastic artist, and she basically put up a post, and I, I follow the R Podcasting and R Podcasts subreddits on Reddit, um, and usually I post like the episodes there and stuff like that, and some people may have found it from Reddit, um, so if you did find it from Reddit, you can, it's user Guadalupe, W-A-D-A-L-O-P-E, uh, just like Guadalupe, but Guadalupe. 
um, and you can kind of say it the same, uh, but she uh, put a post out there that said, hey, I'm looking to do art for some podcasters, and I saw her work, and I really liked what she was doing, and as you know, the way that I take this, I don't want my logo to be super serious. In fact, you know, the one that's been up there forever has been basically a Santa hat on the Masters of Horror Collection skull. That's what it's been, and uh, I just put my little font on the bottom, and I'm like, oh, it's a fucking logo, and there we go, and that's what I've used for four fucking years, and uh, I thought it was time that we changed things up, and, you know, she got back to me really quick, we chatted, she sent me some ideas, I really liked where she was going, I said, well, this is what I'm kind of looking for, what can you do? And she's like, uh, and first she was really like, I'm not sure if I'll fit your mold, I'm like, no, 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 you really will, because if you just, like, and she listened to the podcast too, which I really, 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 like, was surprised about, that some, you know, and she supposedly really enjoyed it, so, um, but it gave her the inspiration, she did it really quick, I cannot believe how fantastic and wonderful it looks so I, I really you know i'm pretty sure i'm hoping that she'll reach back out to me and give me like an instagram twitter and stuff like that so that way i can put it out there um because i don't want to like say put out her email address or anything like that for you guys but i'm pretty sure if you guys like what she's done and you have something you need to get something done that she'd be more than happy to work with you on it um i give her my highest recommendation easy to work with really quick um i mean she she gave me a, an estimated time frame of two months and came in under a month. Um, she worked on it and it was everything that I wanted to see. Like, and I know some people are probably like, oh yeah, you just kind of say, no, no, no. Literally like the stuff that I've wanted, like, and I've talked with other people about in terms of how things should be done or how I would like to see it. Like she just had an inkling to be in my brain. And when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I want. And that's what I've been wanting. So, um, I hope you guys like the new logo. I really like the new logo. Um, and in fact, um, I'm using the logo to finally do a little bit of merch. Um, so, uh, I put up a tea public store You can get stickers and stuff like that shirts. Um, so if you want to support the podcast, you can definitely purchase one of those. That would be great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's all just going to be put back into the podcast. It's not anything else. Um, maybe to do some upgrades on equipment or whatever is here. Um, you know, I'd really appreciate it. Plus it gets the, the podcast out there, but um, you can find that the link is on the uh, the show page on Spreaker as well as on Twitter and on uh, the Facebook page. So you can go there, you can pick up a shirt, pick up a sticker, whatever you want to do. But um, I'll probably do a giveaway at some point uh, of t-shirts where, you know, I'll just make sure that they get out to some of the people um, and uh, that, uh, you know, I'm really ecstatic and really excited about having this logo that just absolutely looks awesome and I cannot gush over it enough. So, and you know how I like to gush over things. But with that being said, um, so if you find the podcast, uh, one, tell me where you found it. I always like to hear that from people. Some people say Spotify and whatnot, but we're out here. Uh, but you can always follow the podcast on things like Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast, Facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, Twitter.com slash T underscore T underscore podcast. And you can always email the show at Terrible Terror Podcast at gmail.com. 
And uh, don't forget, watch Young Frankenstein for the next episode. And we'll see you next time on the uh, Terrible Terror Podcast. Thank you guys very much. And talk to you soon. <laughs>